This is the Better Bible Reading Podcast with Kevin Morris, episode number seven. Welcome to the show. Welcome to episode seven of the Better Bible Reading Podcast. And I hope that you are a frequent visitor of this podcast. But if you're not, uh, I want to welcome you uh, for the, your first time listening. And I hope that you will find this uh, very helpful for, for you in your Bible reading and uh, your attempts to grasp God's Word in a deeper and clearer way. And that's what this podcast is all about. We're in episode seven, and we have so far walked through um, some pretty in-depth conversations, really, with my uh, people I've interviewed so far, uh, including my current pastor as well as two other pastors in the Jacksonville, Florida area. And we've really uh, kind of dove deep into some concepts, uh, starting back with an idea of what it means to study the Bible. And then moving on to how we grasp the way that the Old Testament and the New Testament connect together. And then just here recently, uh, speaking with Stephen Spinweber about the Old Testament and how it relates to us in the way it's preached to us. And I hope that you found that previous episode uh, helpful and encouraging and thought-provoking to you. And if you do want to check out that previous episode that was released two weeks ago, you can go to scriptandsong.org forward slash BBRP6. But in light of those episodes that we've had, I'd like to take a moment to have a discussion with you about the fact that the Bible is a library. That may sound like a strange phrase or a strange statement to make, but almost everybody who has a Bible is familiar with the fact that you can turn to the very front of it, and we have what's called a table of contents. And although that table of contents in one way is described primarily as that division of the Old and New Testaments, there's also a more in-depth way that the Bible is divided. I'd like to talk about that um, in this episode and mention how that might help us come to a better understanding of the genres that are in the Bible. You know, it's one thing for us to be able to grasp a verse and what that verse means. I just think probably one of the most uh, textbook verses we could think about, John 3.16. I say John 3.16, almost everybody has an idea in their minds of what I'm talking about. Perhaps you have it memorized. Many of you probably do. But what is unique about John 3.16? Well, it's found in the third chapter of the Gospel of John. What's unique about the Gospel of John? It's found in that genre which we call the Gospels. What's unique about those? They're found within the New Testament. And what's unique about that? It's found within the whole of the Bible itself. You see, there's a very in-depth view we could have about a particular verse, but we want to not only enjoy the trees, we want to enjoy the forest as a whole, right? We want to get the in-depth picture, but we also want to get the big picture. We want to grasp the entirety of what's being communicated to us in the Bible. And the way that we can do that, or at least a great starting point, is by thinking through the fact that the Bible is a library. 
So if you have a Bible handy, again, I always like to preface this by saying, if you're driving, probably best that you not try to do this. Um, but if you are in a place that you could look at this, you know, just look at the table of contents in whatever Bible you have. Uh, mine, for instance, I have an ESV Bible, uh, a wide margin reference Bible to be more precise. Uh, I'd love to talk about that in a later episode. Anyhow, the contents in my book says the Old Testament and then below it, the New Testament. Now, mine does not have more divisions than that, just Old Testament and then below it, the New Testament. But I'd like to just briefly run through, if you're unfamiliar with how the Bible is a library, well, here's an opportunity for you to understand what I mean by that. So in the Old Testament, it's the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Those first five books are normally called the law or the Torah is another way to describe it, that word meaning those books of the law. Or another way to describe it is the Pentateuch, which is the first five books, that penta being that root for the word meaning five. And then you move on to the book of Joshua, and Joshua all the way through the book of Esther is really history. Some other ways of dividing the Bible up in different genres would call these the writings. But it's another way to say the, the historical accounts. Joshua, you know, you read those, they're, they're very much in the flow of narrative, although that is true about Genesis through Deuteronomy in certain cases. But really those, the, the goal and the main substance is that pivotal moment when Israel is brought out of Egypt and the Lord gives them the law, and then throughout the whole rest of the time, all the way through the end of Deuteronomy, that law is being spoken of, it's being given in hypotheticals of if-then, how to apply the law, and there's this call to keep the law in the book of Deuteronomy before they go into the promised land. So then Joshua through Esther is the narrative account of how all of that plays out. Then you get to the wisdom literature, Right? You have Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. And these are wisdom literature. Also, another way to talk about these is the, the poetic books. These books are poetic. They're written almost in poem form. There's a lot of beauty. There's a lot of uh, figure of speech used to communicate these great theological truths about God and about how to live as God's people, written in beautiful language. And then you move from Isaiah all the way to the end of the Old Testament. You have, first in general, you have the prophets, the Old Testament prophets. Uh, but in more particular, you have Isaiah through Daniel would be considered the major prophets. That's a kind of a subcategory of prophet. And that doesn't speak of the fact that they're more important. It really, the word major simply means the fact that these books are larger in content, larger in size than the following. So you have, after Isaiah through Daniel being the major prophets, then you have the minor prophets, Hosea all the way through Malachi. And so even in the Old Testament, there you have these genres. And why do I say the Bible is a library? Well, because although when you start back in 
Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, you do have the, the first account. You have God creating the heavens and the earth, right? There's nothing in terms of history. There's nothing that happens before that. But Genesis through Malachi is not necessarily completely chronological, is it? I mean, many of you have probably seen in bookstores, you can literally buy a chronological Bible. And these chronological Bibles are really cool because they take the Bible story, the content of the Bible, and it literally is written out from page one to the last page in a chronological order of how it happened. Now, why is that? It's because our typical Bibles, the ones that are, you know, your normal Bible, like I have, Genesis all the way through Malachi, that is not a chronological order of things. It is rather an order that is divided by genre. The same exact thing can be said when we get to the New Testament. The New Testament has its own distinctions in terms of genres. First you have, of course, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the the four gospel accounts, the gospels. Then you have the book of Acts, which is in some ways kind of you know, included in, uh, for those of you who know a little bit about um, authorship of books of the Bible, uh, many of you will know that the book of Acts is actually part of a two-volume set, if you want to put it that way, that Luke wrote. So Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then he also wrote the book of Acts. And those two were meant to be a kind of a two-for-one special, if you will, uh, written to somebody named Theophilus, and he writes... Uh, first an account of Jesus' life in the Gospel of Luke, and then the account of how it affected and what difference it made for the disciples in the book of Acts. And so you could, I suppose in some ways, kind of include Acts in that genre of Gospels. Uh, but in another sense, really the book of Acts is kind of its own genre because there's not really a one-to-one ratio uh, that you can find of another book. There's a unique thing happening in the book of Acts of the spread of the gospel immediately following Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven. Moving on from Acts, then we have another genre category, and that is, again, in one way we could really say that the book of Romans all the way through Revelation is one genre, which would be letters, or you'll Maybe hear this word a lot, epistles, which is just another way to say the word letter. Um, But it sounds cooler, in my opinion, so we're going to use the word epistle instead of letter. But there's a few ways that we can divide this up. So the book of Romans, all the way through the book of Philemon, we can call the Pauline epistles. And that, you can hear that kind of root word there. Paul. So the book of Romans all the way through Philemon are written by the Apostle Paul. Then there's another category, and just as a little side note here, now there's debate as to whether Paul wrote the letter to the Hebrews, but since all these other letters have this opening greeting from Paul himself, Um, There's a clear indication of his authorship, but since the book of Hebrews doesn't start out that way, um, there's kind of speculation as to whether it was Paul or if it was somebody else, and 
uh, frankly, we don't know exactly who wrote the book of Hebrews. And so when we talk about the Pauline epistles, your normal categorization of that would be Romans through Philemon. But then we have another category that I really um, think does deserve some qualification of how we um, would describe it. So um, really as a, sh- as a subgenre of the Pauline epistles, you have 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Now these are called the pastoral epistles. Now that doesn't mean that these epistles, these letters, are only good for pastors. They're only relevant to pastors. Instead, it simply talks about the fact that these letters from Paul were written to pastors, namely Timothy and Titus. And that's really, you know, as simple as that. But another category that we want to talk about for just a minute is what we would call the Catholic epistles. Now, obviously, if you're not Roman Catholic, then you immediately want to distance yourself from that word Catholic epistles. You get really nervous about what that means. And a few things to think about that. First of all, there's nothing wrong with the word Catholic. Catholic is simply, just like epistle is another word for letter, Catholic is simply another word for universal. And you can immediately start to see, first of all, there's a difference between the term Catholic in general and Roman Catholic as a proper name and a proper name of a religion in particular, Roman Catholicism. But when you substitute the word Catholic for universal and you say the universal epistles, then it starts to you know, not be so confusing, it starts to make more sense of what we're talking about. And these are typically regarded as the seven letters being James, First and Second Peter, first, second, and third John, and Jude. And me personally, I would like to just throw in the book of Hebrews along with that. Um, But again, you know, it's not necessarily um, a do or die as to whether or not you add the book of Hebrews. But anyhow, so these are the universal epistles, the Catholic epistles. What do we mean by that? Well, it just simply means that these were not written to a particular church. It's as simple as that. They're just not written to a particular church. James writes to the believers who have been dispersed. First and Second Peter writes to the, the sojourners, the pilgrims. John writes, um, it's speculated that John was laboring in the area of Ephesus, but even at that, his epistles have this kind of uh, universal in scope, right? They're not, when you read them. They're not addressed in the beginning to a particular church. And then the same thing can be said with the book of Jude. Well, if you've been following along with me so far, you know that we have one book left. That is the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation um, is a difficult book really to identify in terms of genre. Uh, In one sense, because there's no other book like it in the entire Bible. But In another sense, it's hard to identify because it is so like many other books in the Bible. So that that sounds like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. What does that mean exactly? Well, the book of Revelation, in one sense, is prophetic. In fact, the book of Revelation 
has more Old Testament quotations or allusions than any other book in the New Testament. Uh, some have even gone so far as to say that it has more than every other book in the New Testament combined. Now, whether or not that's true, I don't know, but it is certainly true that it has more than any other New Testament book. So you'll see a lot of uh, phraseology that is either borrowed or directly cited from the book of Isaiah, the book of Ezekiel, the book of Daniel. I mean, you know, these are Old Testament prophets that are being used in the book of Revelation. So in one sense, you know, this is this is a prophecy that John's giving, speaking of something that has yet to come to pass in some way, shape, or form. Whether or not we, you know, want to argue about how much of Revelation is or isn't uh, future is an entirely different conversation. But in another way, Revelation is its own unique genre because it is not just prophetic, it is apocalyptic. Now again, I want to be careful to define that word. You know, so many times we have these kind of buzzwords that we kind of associate our own definition and our own meaning with it. Uh, for example, Catholic, right? We have our own concept of what that word means uh, as soon as we hear it before even understanding what context it's used in. Well, the same can be said about the book of Revelation as being an apocalypse, apocalyptic, right? Now, if you've gone to uh, Christian bookstores or uh, just regular bookstores, honestly, uh, you have apocalyptic literature, and normally the connotation with the word apocalypse is this doom and gloom, scary, what in the world is going to happen next kind of thing, this this mysterious, uh, frightening chain of events that's going to happen, and we're trying to figure out about helicopters and scorpions and all kinds of crazy stuff, right? Well, actually we could really say that the book of Revelation is the book of the Apocalypse. That word revelation is the same word used as that Greek word which we hear apocalypse being. So let me read just the very first verse of the book of Revelation. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. Now, I'm going to read that again, but this time, let me just simply substitute that word revelation with apocalypse, being the same word. The apocalypse of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Now, a few things that I just want to quickly go over with that. Notice that apocalypse is not supposed to carry the connotation of mysterious, terrifying, scary, worrisome. Instead, it has the connotation of revelation or revealing, making something known, shedding light upon something. And you even hear that, you know, Paul, uh, excuse me, John 
really kind of goes to great lengths in the way that he writes this introduction to the book of Revelation to remind us that what we're talking about is something that is having light shed upon it. He says this revelation is that which God gave to show to his servants, and he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. So just an interesting little tidbit there that we hear that phrase apocalypse, and we typically have this concept of what that might mean, but really it oftentimes means the exact opposite of what we think, right? We think apocalypse, mysterious, scary, what in the world is this, where really it's has everything to do with revelation, making clear here is what it is. Here's this revealing of what it is. Okay, so we've worked through all 66 books of the Bible and talked about the genres that are associated with those books. Now, first of all, if you're still following with me, hopefully you're not thinking at this point, you know, 20 minutes in, man, this is really an episode I could have skipped. This is kind of boring. So why in the world do I want to make an episode about the Bible as being a library? Well, this is the Better Bible Reading Podcast. This is a podcast where we want to think about reading the Bible and how to understand it rightly. There's a Bible verse that I am uh, very keen on mentioning. That is 2 Timothy 2.15. We have a call given to us as Scripture readers and Scripture studiers. And in that call that is given to us in 2 Timothy 2.15, we are told that we should make careful effort to rightly divide the word of truth. Rightly dividing it. So what does that mean? Well, it means a few things. First of all, it means that we want to be able to sort through God's Word. God's Word doesn't come to us. I like to use this concept a lot to think about what the Bible isn't. The Bible isn't millions of fortune cookie one-liners pasted together, right? I mean, when you read a fortune cookie, there is absolutely no need to say, what's the context of this fortune? What's really the the whole page that this fortune is coming out, right? There's no possible way that we can do that because it's on this just little, small little strip of paper, but also because they're not written to really relate to a context. They're written for us to take it as our own and make it whatever we want it to mean for our lives. Well, that's great if you're into living your life by way of one fortune cookie at a time. But that's not what the Bible is, and that's certainly not the way that the Bible was written. The Bible was written as a comprehensive story given to us, right? We've talked about this in our previous episodes. A comprehensive story, a revelation of God given to us, revealing himself to us. But God doesn't do that simply by one fortune cookie phrase. He does it in his wisdom through different means throughout time. And the way that that has been captured for us is in the way that our Bible is structured as we have it today, through genres. God doesn't just give us narrative accounts of his people through the ages. Neither does God 
only give us wisdom in poetic literature. Neither does God only give us prophecy in figures of speech. Neither does he only give us strict teachings or parables or rebukes or encouragements. It's a complete revelation from God given to us in each of the genres, in each of the books of the Bible that we have, and our responsibility as Christians is to take this word of truth as a whole and rightly divide it. That doesn't mean to rip it apart and make it whatever we want. It means that we're able to safely, responsibly, and faithfully work through each element of the Bible as a whole. And really, the only way that we can truly do that is by coming to terms with the Bible as a library, with that idea of the genres of the Bible in mind. Now, there's a few things that we can do in light of that as we think through it. A few things we can do is, first and foremost, we can be like a lot of people, and that is we can simply pick and choose our favorite genre in the Bible and kind of camp out there uh, for the rest of time. We can be like people who want to simply take some kind of application that Paul gives, for example. So I'm going to use this uh, that we have uh, probably been um, exposed to um, as of recent years by Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow really enjoyed to give us um, a little snippet of the Bible every day that he came out on the field with his face paint under his eyes. And you saw Philippians 4.13. Everybody probably knows it just like John 3.16 now, right? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, how do we understand the relevancy of that? Well, if we want to be like a lot of people, I'm not saying this is true of Tim Tebow, but I'm saying that a lot of people simply want to take that approach to the Bible as my, quote, verse of the day. Wake up in the morning, look at my phone, I have a verse of the day, it's an encouraging verse, it really gets me motivated, that is until I get out of the car and actually walk into work, and then I've forgotten about that verse, and then so goes the day, just like any other day, until the next morning, rinse and repeat, right? Well, that is not the way that Paul meant for Philippians 4.13 to be applied. He didn't mean for it to be a fortune cookie snippet that we take and apply it to whatever in the world we want. In fact, Paul wrote Philippians 4.12 and Philippians 4.11 and the entire Philippians chapter 4 and the entire letter to the Philippians. And if we want to understand the book of Philippians, we want to understand that genre that they're found in, the epistles, the Pauline epistles. If we want to understand those, then we want to understand which testament we're in, the New Testament, right? You see how this really is a chain reaction, and that doesn't mean that every time you get to a Bible verse, you have to suddenly say, well, I can't even read this verse. i got to read the whole letter first to really understand what it's talking about. If you have the time to do that, there's certainly nothing wrong with it, right? We want to encourage that. But at the same time, really what we're saying is, what I'm trying to get across is simply that when we come to any given verse, 
we want to stop and ask ourselves a few really important questions. First of all, where am I at in the library? If you want to think about it that way, what section am I in? What genre am I in? Is there something about this genre that's going to help me understand what is really being taught to me? What's being, what point is Paul, what point is Peter, what point is Isaiah trying to get across? How can I comprehend what is being said here? Those are some of those questions that we want to ask ourselves, and that really helps us come to terms with what genre we're dealing with and how we can understand the Bible in its small parts and understand the Bible as a whole. It's this back-and-forth relationship, this back-and-forth conversation piece that's really informing us as we're reading the Bible. We want to be alert to that reality. We want to realize that the Bible is divided in that way. Now, a second thing that I want to mention um, is the fact that because the Bible is divided in terms of genre and not necessarily chronological order, it means that the books that we have aren't necessarily following a sequence of events in a strict sense, right? So, I mean, surely the book of... Genesis is the first book in terms of events and also in terms of order. The same can be said about the book of Revelation. But when we think about the Old Testament, really the books of Genesis all the way through Esther really are the entirety of history in the Old Testament in terms of time frame and in terms of chronological order. So you have the book of Genesis all the way through Esther. You have the law, and you have the writings or historical books, but there's the rest of the Old Testament books that are informing those events and speaking to those events in the midst of those events. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I mean that let's say you're reading the the book of 1 Kings. Well, 1 Kings is an important book because it's that transition of not just Israel dwelling as a people with no king, but it's that transition of you have Samuel the prophet, and then you have Saul being king, and then you have David becoming king, and then you have his son Solomon becoming king. And as you read through First Kings and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, you start to see this sequence of kingship being handed down from one king to the next. So if you read in three or four pages in Second Kings or First Kings or wherever you are, you're working through hundreds of years by the time you've read just those few pages because those books are giving us kind of snapshot moments of the lives of those kings. And the way that that matters is because, for example, you have Psalms and Proverbs. Well, Psalms and Proverbs were written primarily by David and Solomon. And as they're writing, you have an entire book devoted to the things they wrote. But in terms of time frame and chronological order, those things are being written in a very small chunk of time in relation to a book like 1 Kings or 2 Kings. 
Now, this is a really important thing to think about, too, when we get to the prophets. Now, let's be honest. A lot of times we come to Isaiah or Obadiah, and we're asking the question once we start in chapter 1, verse 1, what in the world is going on right now? I'm I'm so lost, I'm not even sure what's happening in this book. And one of the things that I would actually recommend that you do, this is a really simple thing that you can do. I think I mentioned this way back on uh, our episode with uh, Jesse Pickett, back about talking about um, studying the Bible as a discipline. Um, one of the things that I did uh, when I was trying to really understand these prophetic books was I looked up a timeline. You can just do a Google search or whatever uh, search engine you use, and you can find a um, a time frame of when these prophets were doing their prophesying. Um, some of these prophets actually help us, like Isaiah, for example, um, does a great job throughout the book of Isaiah to tell us which kings were reigning during these prophecies. And you can simply take a look at the book of Isaiah, for example, and see uh, Isaiah chapter 6 is one of those classic ones. Um, this happened when King Uzziah died, the year King Uzziah died. Now, what is what do we know about King Uzziah? Where well, you can look to First and Second Kings, you can find where King Uzziah is, and then suddenly you realize that all of these prophets, even though in the order of the Old Testament they come way after the book of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, that these prophets are writing and doing their prophesying in the midst of the events that are happening in First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. For example, Haggai is a prophet who is prophesying during the new temple being built after God's people went into bondage in Babylon. Now that happens at the very end of Second Chronicles. Well, Second Chronicles is roughly speaking not even quite halfway through the Old Testament in terms of the number of books in the Old Testament. But after Second Chronicles, you have God's people going into captivity in Babylon. Well, we know from reading the book of Daniel that Daniel was one of those people who were there in Babylon. So what's happening in the life of Daniel is happening really in that small snippet of time between Second Chronicles and Ezra. And then by the time Ezra and Nehemiah come around to help rebuild that new temple, you have Haggai, who's the third to last book in the Old Testament, doing his prophesying way back during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. Again, this is not because the Bible is constructed in a confusing way in terms of the order of books that's presented to us, but it's because the books are not meant to be in chronological order. They're meant to be in order of genre. But if you're anything like me, you want to understand how everything relates to one another. So you can, again, simply just do a Google search and you can find which prophets were prophesying in 1 Kings, which ones were prophesying in 2 Kings. If you know more about the history of God's people, you know that after Solomon's death, God's people were divided into Israel and Judah, and each one had their own king, and even more than that, each one had its own set of prophets. So knowing whether Isaiah prophesied 
to Israel or to Judah is important. Knowing whether they were prophesying before or after the exile is important. All these things really come together, but it's back yet again to the simple reality that we want to understand God's word. But if we do want to understand God's word, we can't get around the fact that we have to understand these genres and the fact that there are genres. So I hope that's helpful. One last thing that I want to mention as we bring this episode to a close is really the question, okay, great, we're talking about genres, we're talking about how to rightly kind of divide and sift through the Bible and really know each part individually, but how does this all come together in the big picture? Well, I can't think of a better place to go, honestly, than the Gospel of Luke in the 24th chapter. There's that classic story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus just after Jesus has been crucified, and they feel like their life has come to a terrible end because the one that they really thought could really finally save them and make things turn out for good has now been crucified, and all their hopes and dreams have been shattered. But Jesus has been resurrected, and he comes and meets them on the road, and they don't recognize him at first, and he's talking to them, and there's this really interesting moment where he comes to them, and I just want to read a couple verses here. Here's what he says to them. It says, some of those who are with us, this is the disciples still speaking to Jesus at this point. It says, some of those who are with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And then here's what Jesus says to them. O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then here's the verse I want to pay special attention to. Verse 27 of Luke chapter 24. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, that is a remarkable thing because in Jesus' time, you didn't have yet what we would call the Old and the New Testament. You just had God's Word. And the way that God's Word was categorized at that time was Moses and the prophets. So, in a real sense, Jesus was saying, let me take you from Genesis all the way through Malachi and show you that all of it is pointing to me. So in one sense, we want to know genres. Genres help us. If we're reading a prophecy, we want to know that it's in that prophetic genre because then we don't get so bogged down and confused about figures of speech and symbolism. But at the same time, we want to remember that there's this reality, this thread, this truth that starts in Genesis all the way through to Revelation, and that reality is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus is the centrality of the whole Bible. 
And so these genres are great for us because we can understand immediate context. We can understand why things are written and phrased the way that they are. But ultimately, they point us to this true reality regardless of what genre we're in. And that true reality is Jesus Christ himself. And so I hope that this episode has been enlightening to you in some ways. I hope it's been encouraging. I hope it's really got you thinking because after all, here we are in March and some of us are really well into our Bible reading plans. And I hope that as you are into your Bible reading plans and doing that faithfully, that you're asking important questions. Right around this time, you're probably somewhere around Leviticus or Numbers if you're just working Genesis all the way through Revelation. And sometimes we do get bogged down in books like that, but we have to remind ourselves those important questions. Where am I in terms of the section of the library? What's being communicated to me here? What's unique about this genre? And how does this uniqueness of the genre point me to Jesus? Those are incredible yet simple questions we can ask, and they do so much in reminding us of the big picture. We appreciate the trees and the forest, but we don't lose the forest for the trees, nor do we lose the trees for the forest. We want to appreciate all of it together, right? So anyways, I hope that that really has whetted your appetite for greater Bible reading, greater Bible study. Um, feel free to go to the website over at scriptandsong.org where you can read uh, at this point, many articles that I've put out, as well as some interesting uh, propositions. If you want to get deep into study, I actually have my most recent blog article of how to study an individual book of the Bible. And you can find that just by going to scriptandsong.org. It'll be somewhere right around the top of the page, or you can just click on the articles tab. Um, but I'd love to invite you to go over there and do that, because in that whole conversation... I'd like to take you alongside me and work through an individual book of the Bible to find out what that one is. I'm going to be that guy, and I'm just going to tell you, go to the website and check out the blog, and you'll be able to see it. But anyways, I have some really unique things that I'm trying out on the website, ways to have some discussion with people on more of a consistent basis other than just releasing these podcasts and articles and saying, read them, have fun. You know, I want this to be interactive. So anyways, I hope that that interests you to go over to the website. And again, as we close this, if you've been helped by the Better Bible Reading Podcast, would you consider sharing this podcast with somebody you know that it could benefit and help? I'd be so glad to have the audience increased here, of course, in God's time, but I'd be so glad to have the audience increased and have greater influence in what I'm trying to do here uh, to help you along your Bible reading journey. So until the next episode, this is Kevin Morris with the Better Bible Reading Podcast. Take care.